beautiful. Well, it's it's a beautiful day here. I don't know. Hopefully, it's beautiful. Well, I don't know. If it's a beautiful day out, you shouldn't be listening to podcasts. You should be. Uh, I guess you could be sitting in a park, listening to the podcast on your AirPods or your earbuds. Or I would I would advise if you're listening to the podcast in the park not to have some sort of headphones on because I don't know. If you want to subject all of the park to this, uh, we might use some foul language. We'll play some ro- loud rock and roll. Remember, there's some old women and young children at parks that might be offended by our content. So I would advise maybe wearing some earbuds or some headphones. But uh, it's certainly a nice day to be sitting in uh, Nick's basement. Uh, the, the cats are down here. Just to paint a visual picture, Nick's cats. Uh, Mickey and... Uh, Daisy. Daisy. I should know that because that's my girlfriend's cat's name. <laughs> uh, Nick is, does not uh, and, and uh, does not live with my girlfriend's cat. It's an entirely different cat named Daisy. Two separate cats. Two separate cats named Daisy. Daisy. Very different. Two, um, two separate countries divided by a common language. Uh, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. It's uh, it's late in the afternoon. It's nice out. It's a nice. Late, f- we're recording this in late, no, it's not late fall. It's mid My sense of, it's mid fall. Yeah. My sense of time is warped. What year is it? <laughs> Doing this podcast is messing with your head because yeah, you're starting to get too much in the mindset. Too, the, too much of the, my, the retro mindset. Yeah. So what is this podcast? This podcast is, well, welcome to episode four of Less Rock, More Talk. Uh, a podcast presented by the Nick Robes Podcast Network. I'm your host, Connor McGrath, and we're excited uh, for you to join us this week. We got a great episode for you. Uh, introducing our host, the founder and creator of the Nick Robes Podcast, Nick Robes. Oh, hi. <laughs> uh, welcome to uh, uh, this podcast where we talk about rock. <laughs> yeah, we talk about each each week we talk about a different Billboard rock chart. From the years 1981 to 2012. Mm. Um, this week we're going cl- closer to the former end of the chart, uh, end of the end of the year spectrum. We're doing October 12th, 1985, uh, almost 34 years ago from the recording of this podcast. Is uh, this when Back to the Future came out? Yes, so it 1985 came was came out in the Great. summer of '85. Um, yeah, one of the big cultural touchstones of 1985 was back to the future uh, god cultural big, touchstone of 30 years 34 i mean that stuff keeps going on no yeah it keeps it's coming back yeah and uh it's evergreen it'll live forever mm. amazing thing is they haven't made any sequels or reboots they're like they've managed to like just do the original trilogy plus the tv the cartoons and whatnot right which nobody remembers in no, any way no, shape or form <laughs> There was a CBS Saturday morning cartoon. It goes it goes the way of James Bond Jr. Nobody's remembering it. I think it was on the, I feel like it was on the same CBS Sunday mor- Sunday Saturday morning with James Bond Jr. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were in the same lineup Muppet ba- maybe like the the waning days of Muppet Babies. Oh my gosh, but that's a classic. I yeah, love that's that great. Show. Yeah. Puppet Cla- named Scooby Doo. Maybe or was that ABC? Scooby Doo, eighty nine. Yeah, was that CBS or ABC? That might have been ABC. Yeah. Well, we're not we're not on the Scooby Doo podcast. <laughs> Enough about Back to the Future. Another big cultural touchstone of nineteen eighty five. 
Live Aid, the Woodstock of the 80s. We'll see a couple of artists that were prominently featured at Live Aid. And uh, Miami Vice. Oh, my God. That was the big, the big things in 85 were time traveling, raising money for famine victims in sub-Saharan uh, Africa, and wearing linen blazers with T-shirts underneath. Don Johnson. Don uh, Johnson. I do actually have that album, uh, which is not called Heartbeats. The single off of it is called Heartbeats. I think it is. Isn't it called Heartbeat? Is the album itself called Heartbeats? I believe Anyways, so. Anyways, I have it. And uh, there's like an extended play video where... Uh, Don Johnson plays a photographer, like a war photographer in Nicaragua or something. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like a combat photographer. Because the Heartbeats video uh, prominently features Dweezil Zappa and Moon Unit Zappa. <laughs> oh, I didn't know Moon Unit. I know Dweezil was shredding on the guitar. Yeah, Moon Unit's on backing vocals in the video. Uh, it, which I just, it, it's so funny because growing up, for some odd reason, uh, a big show in our household. For a, I want to say a couple of years was Nash Bridges. <laughs> that was like a Friday night show, though. So it's like, yeah, everybody's home. Like nobody has to work. It was also like a very like a harmless, fun cop show. Yeah. Like you know, and Don Johnson at that point had like these kind of sad puppy eyes. Yeah. And you know, he, a lot of it revolved around his relationship with his possibly gay teenage daughter and his partner Cheech Marin. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which there's the episode where uh, uh, Chong shows Tubbs, up. Tubbs, uh, Tubbs and Chong both show up, up in the same episode. In the same episode, it must and have been then, during sweeps. Yeah, and then at the end they leave together, and Cheech and uh, uh, Johnson are next to each other, going, "There goes a strange looking couple." <laughs> <laughs> that is good. And Philip Michael Thomas is famous for his quest to win the EGOT. Mm. Yes, which as so far is unsuccessful, but I hope. Uh, He's so so far he's 0 for four on winning the EGOT, but uh, <laughs> I wouldn't give up an old PMT. Got nothing but time, baby. Yeah. Uh, so Miami Vice Live Aid. Uh, I yeah. mean Live Aid. What? Who are the big performances? Live Aid Queen, of course. Yeah. Um, Paul McCartney. Uh, Led's the reunited Led Zeppelin with Phil Collins instead mm. of uh John Bonham. Wow. Because John Bottom was uh, dead for Passed. five years, yeah, he was not <laughs> able to make it. Um, Phil Collins at both, so Live Aid was in Philadelphia and in uh, London, and Phil Collins was at both concerts. He wow, flew the, he flew on the Concord. I almost said Concord Coach Lines because I'm so used to the <laughs> New England-based bus company. Concord Air, the the transatlantic flight. Not yeah, the, the the super not the fast. trans New England bus, the supersonic airplane. Yep. Yeah, so he opened up the show in London, and he took the Concord, and he was on the closing of the show in Philadelphia, botching a a very infamously bad Led Zeppelin reunion (laughs) at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. No. Phil Collins goes into detail about it in his book. He said he didn't get to rehearse with him. He was listening to Led Zeppelin songs on the Concord Playing, that's playing how he, like, air rehearsed. drums yeah, like, in his head. Yeah, <laughs> and there were two drummers too. So it was him and this guy Tony Thompson that was the drummer in the Power Station and Chic, which is the disco band Chic. Huh. No, no, I, I'm thinking of somebody else. Tony Thompson. I don't think he was in Chic, but he was in the Power Station, I believe. Why two drummers? I don't Just... know. Like Phil Collins is like, I don't know, like why they needed, why they it was needed just two a gimmick. Because it was like they, yeah, it's like well. T- Nobody really knows Tony Thompson, so let's get a famous drummer too. 
But it's like, but or it's like maybe like, it's like we need two drummers to replace John Bottom because he was such a great drummer. Phil Collins is no slouch. No. It's not like, you know, they got like Ringo Starr, which nothing against Ringo Starr, but yeah. like it's not like they got Ringo Starr and he's like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. No, it did not go well. And that's why they didn't reunite again until 2008. Wow. Or 2007. But, Around there. But yeah, Live Aid, 15 hour concert, Ugh. two stadiums. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, and Africa still not doing well? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I had to have a couple sequels, so. Uh, nice move, Bono. Bono, you too. That was a U2. Oh, U2 was a big. A very, yeah, U2 has a, had a great set that. Yeah, I feel like there's a cut of like New Year's Day or something that's really famous from that. Yeah. Um, they do Probably bad. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. They do Sunday, Bloody Sunday. They do bad. Mm-hmm. Bono brings a girl out of the audience and slow dances with her. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Uh, Adam a- Ant. <laughs> he got cut down to one song, and he chose to do his new unfamous single instead of one of his hits. Really? And he got like mm. that was like the that beginning of the end of his career. He's like he did like his shitty new single instead of doing Goody Two Shoes or Stand and Deliver or something. Stand and Deliver. That's yeah. the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. Okay. Well, good for him. Sting featuring. Branford Marsalis. That was also at Live Aid. <laughs> oh, because that was at around the time of Blue Turtle? Yes. Yep. Okay. That was like his so, first solo album. He was big so into it was like Sting. jazz. It was, like Sting. it was a very odd set. It was like Sting playing on his like an electric guitar and like Branford Marsalis kind of like noodling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not to be confused with any of the other Marsalises. Win- uh, uh, yeah. uh, Winston? Winston, no. yeah. Is it Winston? Yep. Yeah. I think there's like four of them. Chicken Marsalis. <laughs> <laughs> Marcellus Depot. Uh, <laughs> right on. Well, 1985. A great year. Great year. Um, so let's get it go going with some honorable mentions. And honorable. I saw fit to mention this band for the first time because they're my one of my favorite classic rock groups of all time. Kiss. Ooh. They had uh, they in 1985. They released their third uh, un- unmasked album. <laughs> Not to be confused with their 1980 album, Unmasked, where they were still wearing makeup. But their third album that they did, Sans Makeup, Asylum, uh, is a song called Tears Are Falling. Didn't make the, it was on the list. Didn't make didn't make the top ten. Huh. Interesting. And uh, it's one of their biggest non-makeup songs. It's one of the only non-makeup songs they've played since they put the makeup back on. And the video, if you get a chance to watch the video, Nick, is... Uh, is it something else? Yeah. I, you should fire up the YouTubes and try and... Oh, here's a little taste of tears yeah. are falling. Now put this... It's, so who's in the band at this point? It's Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Bruce Kulick is on guitar, okay. and Eric Carr. Okay. So they're on their fourth, fourth lead guitarist and their second drummer. Great. And Paul Stanley's in this video. He's wearing a very big shouldered pink jacket with like lime uh, gloves. Hmm. And uh, they're dancing in front of a weird like glittery uh, volcano. Yeah. And like a kind of a jungle motif. And at one point in the video, uh, Paul Stanley grabs a line and swings like Tarzan. A beautiful moment. And. Uh, Gene Simmons just like looks like a uh, middle-aged Jewish aunt from Boynton Beach. Great. He's wearing like a sparkly blouse. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's great. They somehow look even scarier without makeup than with makeup. <laughs> they weren't even trying. Yeah, right. Classic thing said about Kiss. Uh, you know what? It's funny because I think um, I think the thing about Kiss is that so like I I remember there's a uh, there's a essay by Chuck Klosterman where he talks about ABBA and in it he compares ABBA to ACDC where he says like one of the things leveled against ABBA is that they're not relevant and he, and his argument is like well they never were relevant right they were never doing something that was relevant for the time they've always done their own thing right they were is, never hip which is kind of like ACDC ACDC has never done anything but ACDC. They've never been the band of the moment. They've always existed within their own space. Yeah, just doing their own thing. And I feel like almost Kiss is the antithesis of that, where they've been like trying to navigate, right. like, like what do we do? What's the next yeah. thing for Kiss? You know, and it's fascinating because he's like, well, I guess the makeup's coming off. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's almost like just trying to find the low hanging fruit for right. how they stay. It's like glam metal. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kiss is great. You yeah. are a, still a card-carrying member? Uh, yeah, it's tailed off a little bit in the past mm. five or six years, but I still I still enjoy Kiss. Yeah, I'll see the I'll see the f- farewell tour if Ace freely comes back. Yeah, what what isn't it called like the continual farewell? Yeah, tour the final fair like the continual final farewell. Yeah, so it's I'm... going on for at least like two more years because well, it's also like the thirtieth farewell tour. Right? Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that bit. I love that they lean into it so hard. And the opener for the tour is they didn't even get a band open. They got a rock and roll speed painter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. So he just like he's like they show him painting on the big screen. All right. All right. Well, I mean, it's a fine song. Is it's it going good. to is it going to stick in your head as well as uh I was made for loving you? No. But no. <laughs> Uh, well, okay. Other honorable mentions? Other honorable mention? One of the kind of an iconic 80s song featured prominently in Donnie Darko. Oh! Fears for Fears, okay. Head Over Heels. Yeah. This is a classic. What yeah. number was this? I think this was like 11. This was just outside the chart. I actually didn't write the honorary mentions chart positions because I wrote this when I was half asleep. Huh. <laughs> uh, I have to say that, uh, Donnie Darko did a lot for, I don't know, just like the 80s nostalgia thing yep. in general. Yeah, that and I love the 80s. I think they both came out like 0102-ish. And- yeah, right? It was like uh, just kind of tail ending the 90s and like uh, just far enough removed to be like, hey, remember when? Yeah. <laughs> Let's watch The Breakfast Club again. We haven't yeah. seen it in a, in a hot minute. <laughs> You need at least 15 years, I feel like, to be nostalgic over something. Sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Seth Rogen doing the uh, cocaine in the locker. Mm-hmm. Mm. Another great music video for this one. Really? They're in like a, they're in a library. There's a chimpanzee. <laughs> the card, like the, the, the cards from the card catalog fly up out. Apparently they like they had a lot of, like Tears for Fears had just watched Ghostbusters and like had a lot of ideas. Oh interesting. Like very non sequitur ideas. Because it also kinda sounds like the Africa video for Dodo. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Cause that one's like a weird uh uh they're in the uh, library thing. Yeah. A lot of great videos in the library libraries. The eighties. I'm trying to remember if it was 
when I worked at a, a uh, concert venue, it was either Tears for Fears opening up for Hollow Notes. Actually, yes, I think yeah, it was that was two- a couple summers ago. Oh no, this would have been two- back in the day. Yeah, two thousand nine. Okay. I think, and uh, I think it was Tears for Fears was opening up for Hollow Notes, and they dropped out. But they were the opening act, so the, there were no refunds offered. Yeah, and people were pissed. <laughs> but just an angry uh, mob of Tears for Fears fans. Yeah, right. they just wanted to hear this. I gotta say, there's a uh, uh, updated picture of them on uh, Apple Music for under the artist thing. And I don't know who it is, but one of them kind of looks like Daniel Craig. <laughs> uh, yeah, but great band. Yep. That was 85 was the year. That was Tears for Fears year. This head over heels and shout and yeah. everybody Shoot. wants to rule the world. Lay it all out. Just Here's all the things. Oh, three songs still getting played on the radio 34 years later. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like. It's interesting because, like, you know, Head Over Heels being in Donnie Darko, but, like, a lot of these are in the zeitgeist so much that characters, like, fictional characters love these songs as, like, a bit. Yeah. You know? Like, they sh- like there was a uh, an episode of Psych where, uh, uh, I can't remember the lead dude's name now, but he was, you know, whatever. The, the Psych guy yeah. is super into Tears for Fears and, like, doing this song. You know, it's like a bit to, like, yeah. Tears for Fears. It sticks in the head so yeah, much. Yeah, the the uh, the piano line. Yeah, very distinct. Yes. Yeah, and that piano sound all over the eighties. Yeah. But uh, but co- it's also kind of timeless. It's of its time, and it translates well. It doesn't sound like tacky, like you know, like some Duran Duran songs or even some Hall and Oates songs. Yeah. It holds yeah. Up. Well, I mean, even when we did that, uh, what, what was it, 94? 91, yeah. That, that week in 91, and it was like, you know, uh, all these aging rock stars, and it was like, oh, all of this kind of sounds like this time, and yeah. n- I don't know any of these songs now, yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah, they were off the radio as soon as they were off the radio. Yeah, Like, they absolutely. didn't have any replay value. Yeah. But this, yeah, I mean, this countdown is, this is pretty good. I mean, last week... We had a great one, so at first I was like, well, it isn't as good as last week, but it's like, it's still like, I'd still probably say, you know, most of these songs are still played. I think most of these songs are still played on the radio, and uh, I don't know, there's not, a, there, it's it's pretty, it snuck up on me, last thing to this play, this uh, countdown, and I was like, it doesn't, and obviously the song, it's well, a sleeper it last countdown. Week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's obviously highlighted by one of the worst songs of all time coming in at number one. Oh, but I'm excited. You teased that last time. Yeah. I'm excited to see what it is. Um, but it's, you know, it's very much of its time. It's not, I wouldn't say it's like a spectacular list, but it kind of snuck up on me. It's songs that are, you know, you can see why they were big back in their day. Mm. They still, it's be- definitely better than the, the, the 91 list that we did. <laughs> that was pretty slim pickings. Mm, with that great Stevie Nicks song. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's a bitch. Oh my God. Right on. So let's get going. So this is now your top 10 for October 12th. 1985. Well, we're starting off the list with a band that played at Live Aid. Oh, uh, they were the first, they were, uh, they had the biggest album in the UK of 1985. 
an album that one in ten people in the UK owned back in 1985, Dire Straits. Yes, off of Brothers in Arms, song "One World," which is kind of like a not one of the bigger hits off the album. Yeah, I don't know that. That one came in well. at number ten, October 12th, 1985. I mean. Uh, what can we? What can I say that I haven't already said about Dire Straits? Uh, I love big, this band. Big Knopfler. <laughs> I really. Well, I think he's kind of a dick. But oh yeah, I do remember this one. This is kind of one of the more forgettable tracks yeah. in this album, honestly. <laughs> because it's also like the it, like that bass line is just bordering on disco. Yeah. You know, it's like fine. It's kind of a sleepy. But I'm trying to remember. Yeah, okay. So this is the album with Money for Nothing. Yeah, Money for Nothing, yeah. Walk of Life. Yeah. So far away. Yeah. Right across the river. Man's too strong. Yeah. Why Worry? That was. There are so many great covers of Why Worry. That's just yeah. a great song. But, I mean, great. Yeah. A good British band. Yeah. The the British band of 1985. Which I mean, is crazy. Like, yeah. Because they, I mean, I... As stated, I love Dire Straits, but I think culturally, outside of maybe Sultans of Swing, you don't really have them like po- poking up a lot in pop culture that much. No, not a lot. Not in at least not in the U.S. I'm sure they pop up a lot more in the U.K. Yeah, um, but I think you know it's kind of like they kind of lend themselves well to the era. This is like the big. We're still kind of riding like the big chillification of America, where like people are like <laughs> mellowing out and they don't want like anything too fr- frantic. Yeah, Just, like. M- just kind of like the mellowness of like yeah well uh uh you know steely dan yeah the eagles yeah just this is great, like their heyday you know, I'm great assuming. musicianship yeah yeah it's interesting i never really put dire straits with steely dan or the eagles until this moment but they do yeah. fit they're kind of like the success well because steely dan in the 80s by 85 are kind of broken up so they're yeah. they're kind of and the eagles as well although we'll get to solo eagles Ooh, a little great. bit later um yeah so they kind of like filled that void for the like kind of like professional chill very yeah. well done musicianship mm. Mm. it's a good it's a good album yeah, yeah. in general and i mean you know as far as the songs go that one i feel like like i said is a little more disco-y i yeah. kind of like the more rocky i mean money for nothing classic you know yeah. with that like you know it's so yeah. good uh nice it's a, it's a good song. It's a good song. I would say it's worthy of number 10. Yeah. I think number 10 is a good spot. Yeah. It's worthy of inclusion, mm-hmm. but not really being higher than number 10. No. Nah. Definitely not in the top five. <laughs> no, that's not making my top five. I don't know if I want to spoil it, but uh, I will say, uh, yeah, maybe I will. I, I will do the spoiler. Top five. My top five is the same as the top five on the list. It's just- Wow. I, I, yeah, which is my, I think it was, uh, we haven't done that for the first- four, Three episodes. We're only four episodes in. So yeah, but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. Interesting. I'm I'm curious how often it will happen. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The top my top five is the top five, including the worst song of all time. That's crazy. Okay, I'm I'm very excited to find out what that is. Uh, at some point we're gonna have to do like stats of like how often yeah. your, your top five like takes from the honorable mentions as opposed yeah. to the top ten and stuff. Hmm. Uh, all right, number nine. Coming in at number nine, another massive cross. This was a crossover hit. This is a big hit on the pop charts. Mr. Mister 
with Broken Wings. Oh, their wow. album, Welcome to the Real World. Holy jeez. I was going to say breakout album, but that would imply that they had more than one big album. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. It was their, out, like, their big album. I'm trying to think of like what other songs are on this. I have to look. Is there anything that I... No, it's even first track on it. Oh, God. Kiri, I think, is on. Oh, Stand and Deliver. Maybe I know that one. Oof. God, that is just, that is a sound right there. 1985. Yeah. That's what 1985 sounds like. Mr. Mister is a band of famous, like, kind of like well known session musicians. I played on, like, you know, a variety of tracks, and I think they've. They saw what Toto was doing. Another band of session musicians like, we should... Let's form a band, Let's guys. form our own band. Toto's killing it right now. It worked great for yeah. the band. <laughs> mm. We just got to get to the... It might take a while. This is a long song. Yeah. It's almost six minutes long. I don't think, and I don't think they do. I mean, there probably is a single edit of it, but I feel like they usually play all six minutes of it. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Right? Yeah. Take oh. these broken wings and learn to fly again. Learn to live so free. There's a great video in uh, Michael Jordan's Come. I think it's in Michael Jordan's Come Fly With Me. With uh, Michael Jordan like rehabbing an injury set to Mr. Mister's Broken Wing. Really? Yeah. That's great. It's awesome. Uh, all right. Uh, he was uh, the guy, singer from Mr. Mister was in Ringo Starr's All Star Band. Actually, I'm wearing the shirt from that concert. Nice. That when I saw them up at the Bangor, uh, the Cross Insurance Center up in Bangor. Now, he likes peace and love. Ringo loves peace and love. Peace and love? Is that I'm assuming thing? anybody in his All Star Band. <laughs> Uh, feels the same way i don't think you would add ted nugent to the did you ever see that video of him because apparently stop sending the one where he stopped sending letters he he stopped finally answering his own fan mail which he had been doing for far too long yeah since like 2008 (laughs) or 2009 or whenever yes yeah insane and so like but the whole thing he keeps interrupting by being like peace and love peace and love Yeah. Uh, terrible painter, Ringo Starr. Um, that song has be- to be on one of those like compilations that were shown on the preview channel. Sounds right? of the yeah, sounds of the eighties or something. Yeah, or like uh, monster ballads or yeah. something like. It's that. It's on a lot of those time life compilations. <laughs> <laughs> With a couple sitting down at like yeah. at a coffee table, yeah. being like, "Do you remember this song?" I'm sure I could. Uh, well, actually, I don't think the Cumberland Farms up the street was still sells. CDs, but back when they did sell CDs, I'm sure I could find a copy of Broken Wings. Yeah, right next to uh, Bob Marley. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the main comedian, main not, comedian, not, not Bob Marley artist. and the Whalers. Yes, sounds the '80s. I think it's a yeah. That song is the '80s. I think very much. We've actually had like a couple because I think also I would say the Dire Straits one not so much, but for sure Tears for Fears. Yep. And the and and Mister Mister, I would say that's like you know kind of what I think of you know Duran Duran. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's another. This is another song that's uh, very 1985. Heart. Ooh. Off their, their comeback. Their comeback self-titled album. Uh, song called Never. You really know this one? I Maybe. think you do. They they play it on they they play it on the radio. This might be one of those ones that but, I just don't know yeah. the name of it. 
Yeah. Which now, uh, uh, Sister Christian is everywhere, by the way. I can't stop hearing that song everywhere I, I walk. Just kind of like ushered it into your life. Oh my God. I placed a hex on you, a Night Ranger hex. <laughs> uh, all right. Ooh. Hard had a big cut. This was their first top 10 hit in five years. Hmm. It's a big comeback for them. They kind of okay. came into the '80s with this song, this this album. Kind of like a watered down version of their '70s sound. Heart doesn't speak too fondly of their like '80s. Yeah. Days when you, they're interviewed now. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like uh, uh, boppy. I would yeah, it's use, a bop. Is the term. It's a bop, not a jam. But I mean, it's even like uh, for heart. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we brought this up before, but it's almost like Mr. Big. Yeah. Like Mr. Big's like speed metal songs versus like you know Green Tin and Sixties Mind or something. Right, right, right. Oh yeah, I've heard this. They're coming to the title of the songs. Right. Uh, I'd almost, uh, uh, modern day, I never put this together before, but that's almost like a uh, Haim. Yeah. Did I yeah, pronounce Haim's that right? Got, yeah. Uh, Is it Haim or Haim? I think it's Haim. I always pronounce it as Haim, but I feel like we might. I don't think I've ever heard it said. Yeah. <laughs> and I've listened to them a bunch. If the Haim sisters are listening, please tell us how your last name is pronounced. Just introduce your albums with it. Yeah. Just be like it's or uh, similar to uh, it's pronounced Leonard Skinner. Pronounced <laughs> just it's pronounced for their third album. Haim. <laughs> it's pronounced Haim. No, yeah, it does kind of have a Haim like uh, they do have a very. Yeah, it's boppy, but it's yeah. also got it's got like a little bit of funkiness to it. Yeah. It's not just straight up rock. Elasticity. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, obviously didn't have a shit ton of staying power, but uh, fine song. Yeah. Worthy of number eight. You'll still hear it. This one, yeah, that one, you you still hear it sometimes on mm. Rewind 100.9, our local classic hits station. Boof. Yeah. <laughs> same songs every day at the same time. If you want to hear uh, <laughs> the same song at one thirty-five on a Tuesday, you will hear it. <laughs> Perhaps hearts never. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, good stuff though. Good stuff. Uh, up next is an artist that we had a couple weeks ago on the list, Brian Adams. Ooh, okay. A song called "One Night Love Affair" off his breakout album "Reckless." So I can say breakout album because he had more than multiple. Mm. That was like he had he had success before this album, but this this album had like four or five big singles off of it. Um, this is a. You know, medium, medium to large size hit. Not the biggest hit off the album, but it does that uh, just uh, uh, name qualify his entire career? Yeah, medium. That yeah, mostly <laughs> one night love affair. Okay. Yeah, you'll hear the sun rewind 100.9 after hearts. You're the 
Brian Adams also at Live Aid. He's one of the openers at the Philadelphia concert. Uh, Brian Adams is kind of Applebee's rock to me, which I'm yeah. fine. I'm, I'm yeah, not yeah, using that derogatory. Like dependable. Yeah, You're, and, he's uh, not going to do anything. He's not going to do anything super embarrassing. Like he's not going to make like a. Yeah, it's also it's like just edgy enough for like flavor, yeah. but it's not offensive. Yeah, you're not going to burn your mouth. Yeah, you know, like an Adam Ant. You could put that on at a party and people would be like, party foul. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm Brian Adams. And like the worst is somebody's like, oh yeah, I do have to pee. You know? Like, <laughs> 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 yeah. Great. Probably worthy of being number seven. Yeah. I, I feel like, like so far it's like. I'm not disagreeing with any of these. Two, it's these. Like, makes, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. We have, so far this episode, we haven't been like, this is what? Like, this is like, <laughs> this isn't higher. Like, this is on the list at all. Or Yeah. Although, I'll be honest, with some of the uh, entries so far, I kind of wish Dire Straits was higher. Yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, all right. Uh, number six. Number six. Another Canadian act. Mm. Loverboy. Hell yeah! Is this what I think it's gonna be? No, it's no, not okay. their, ba- their. It's a song it's not called the hit. <laughs> it's a song, uh, probably their last big hit called "Loving Every Minute of It." <laughs> okay, it's a good one. I think this is my favorite Loverboy song. More famous, I like it more than their. Uh, more, I think Lo- than for the weekend. Working for the weekend, yeah. I think working for the weekend's a little bit overplayed. This is a good, uh, you know, solid. Butt rock, not butt rock. Butt rock's more like Nickelback. Uh, yeah, this is more kind of like uh, a- arena rock. Yeah, cock uh, rock, cock rock, butt rock. Well, cock rock, I'd even say is ACDC. No, like, yeah, this is not like hard and this isn't to dad rock because that's Huey Lowe. Yeah, but it's like this was so. This was written by like Mutt Lang, which I thought was interesting. Again, this is kind of like yeah, again Mutt Lang. But I think this is kind of interesting because it seems sort of like a prototype of what like Def Leppard would go for, and yeah, and like uh, with Hysteria, it's like kind of like Mutt Lang doing like a dry run for Hysteria with this song. Yeah, with the chanting. Yeah. Yeah, this sound, this actually does sound like like a prototype for Def yeah. Leppard. <laughs> it does have that lover boy synth sound though. Yeah. The keyboards, yeah, because they had a keyboard player. So Loverboy, uh, here's a good Loverboy story. Loverboy's original name was Coverboy. <laughs> <laughs> and they changed it because they thought uh, they, they wanted they wanted something more masculine, so they just <laughs> went with lover. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely. Guys, serious. did you They're make like, the best choice? Like Coverboy yes. is way too feminine. Like we need a more masculine name. Yeah. Oh, what are we gonna call ourselves? Uh, Pussy Brigade. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah. I guess. You know what? Given those two options, 
I no, guess, Cover no, Boy is the well. No, because I, I guess both Cover Boy equally not masculine. Because Cover Boy would be like a, so, someone on a magazine, like right. a pretty boy, whereas pretty like a boy. Lover Boy. Yeah, I guess Lover Boy, a guy get the, that gets all the ladies. Yeah, right. I mean, in this day and age, probably could also get all the men too. But in the eighties, that would yeah. have been you know uh, not talked about as much. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Reagan's still in the White House at this point. Yeah. Did I ever tell you I saw Lover Boy open up for Toto? No. Yeah. Is that a good show? No. <laughs> did he wear? Did he wear it like? A, it wasn't bad. No. But it was not like a great show. Did he wear his red, uh, red the Lover Boy uh, Mike Reno from Lover Boy with a red headband? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. He wears like a bandana rather than a sweatband, like he did. In the... Yeah, I can't remember because I mean, it's like a biker. Because he, yeah, he... this would have been like 10, 12 years ago now. Uh, yeah, that it was that, and uh, what was the other? Co- the big one from that season was um, Thin Lizzy opening up for Deep Purple, and spoiler alert: uh, Thin Lizzy was terrible because I mean they would have not even had an original member by that point. I don't think probably not. Maybe one of the guitarists. Maybe, uh, but Deep Purple was amazing. They were great. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic. They all knew that they were old, and they just had fun with it. Yeah, and. Smoke on the Water was like the third encore, and the the, the whole venue lost its fucking mind. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. Uh, but they're yeah. on a farewell tour too. Of Deep Purple. Oh, right I now. did yeah. see that. Yeah, Ian Gillian. Ian Gillian's still there. Yeah, uh, and uh, the new guitar player. I mean, new relatively last twenty years. Uh, Richie Black. Not Roger Blackmore, but uh, Richie. No, something more. Neil Morse. Yeah, that he's great. Right. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He did like the like stereotypical '80s thing of like take like the extended solo break yeah. where the spotlight goes on and all the rest of the member band members go for a smoke yeah. break. <laughs> it was probably great. like a pee break at this point. Yeah, yeah, right. Very, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a glass of red wine backstage. <laughs> Some Geritol. Uh, uh, well, this very exciting, of course, brings us into the top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. Top five. Uh, number five. Number five. One of the big stars of 1985 released his album Scarecrow. <gasps> oh shit! I love this album. <laughs> yeah, uh, he started uh, helped start Farm Aid. Uh, that was the pre. That was in September 1985. Uh. John Mellencamp with the Lonely Old Night. It comes in at number five. Okay. All right. That's a very uh, good song. Uh, the origins of the f- origins of Farm Aid. I'll go over them briefly, even though they don't really involve John Mellencamp. Bob Dylan was on stage at Live Aid, and he said, "Well, this is great, but we can give like sh- we shouldn't we give like a million or two million dollars of this to <laughs> to, farmers. Uh, to farmers?" And like Bob Geldof, the organizer of Live Aid, was like, "You fucking dick." <laughs> but out of Bob Dylan being an early uh, proponent of being what about so and so came farm aid which is still around to this day they just had farm aid 2019 a couple weeks ago and john mellencamp was on there he might have performed lonely all night i i think he's in a weird phase he's been in a weird phase for a few years now yeah i don't Uh, think he performs a lot of older songs yeah because last time i saw him he was performing with like it was like a violin player and a guitar player, and like that was it, and kind of like artsy. Yeah, uh, you know, still sort of roots, but like yeah. very artsy. Yeah. Uh, um, but let's see. Oh my god, I can't believe "Small Town" wasn't the hit. <laughs> well, it was, but it, uh, this was the what they were pushing at the time. Yeah. This is a great album, though. In general. Yeah. 
Yeah, Scarecrow title track about the plight of the U.S. farmer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like... I think it's interesting because it is such like a, uh, you know, these colors don't run kind of attitude. But there was something about like post uh, whatever had pink houses on it. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Uh-huh. Maybe. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Because that one also had guitar. Learn, Forget all about that macho shit and learn how to play guitar. Learn guitar. Yeah. This is like he started to get like brooding, yeah, and that's this album, and like obviously the album where he does Wild Night with um, uh, Michelle and Diego Cello, yeah. Uh, but I like he he's like I don't want to say watered down version of like you know uh, Born in the USA, but like he has Maybe the, like a more accessible, more yeah, like. It also feels more rootsy than Bruce yeah. Springsteen because Bruce Springsteen, by the point that Born in the USA was coming out, was a arena, yeah, stadium. Yeah, he was a pop star. Yeah, you know. But I feel like for some odd reason, like Mellencamp never like, like Small Town doesn't sound ironic when you listen to it. Right. It, well, you, I mean, you think like, oh yeah, that is this dude. Yeah, I mean, that's the difference is Mellencamp's from Indiana and Bruce is from <laughs> New, Jersey. New Jersey, so yeah. it's like Mellencamp's more of the you know. Midwest, mm. the heartland, heartland, mm. Seymour, Indiana. <laughs> is, yeah. that, is that where he's from? Yep, <laughs> no shit. But yeah, the yeah, Scarecrow. I think that was one of his like the highlights of his career. Yeah, I think because he's like, like in a nice sweet spot where he still had a lot of the pop sensibilities, but he was also like developing as a songwriter, and he was finally kind of confident. I think Scarecrow was the first album where he was just John Mellencamp instead of John Cougar. He's I don't no think- longer the Cougar. At least, yeah. Oh, this is uh, this was Cougar. Yeah, this is Cougar. Yeah, I don't think he dropped the Cougar entirely until the nineties. Yeah. But like, yeah, but it's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's a great album in general. I think that's a, that's a great song that's from great that song, album yeah. too. I think it's a little bit more um, uh, uh, thematically complex than like Small Town, which I think is yeah. great. Uh, yeah. All right. I Good think. One. Good, good number five. Good number we're five. We're doing great. Great. Everything you're agreeing with everything so far, <laughs> except for the Dire Straits. Yeah. I mean, should they be higher? Always. <laughs> uh, which brings us to number, number four. four. Number four, uh, I think it's one of the forgotten, maybe the forgotten gem of the first four episodes, a song that I have, didn't hear before the show. And I had, I wouldn't say I had low expectations, but I had like moderate expectations. But it's a Roger Daltrey solo song. Okay called After the Fire. It's off his album Under a Raging Moon. Hmm. Which is kind of a tribute to Keith Moon. But, uh, yeah. It's interesting, because it was seven. It was a while after Keith Moon's death. I thought it was his first solo album after Keith Moon's death, but it was actually a couple solo albums after. But I guess he was just feeling nostalgic in this period. I guess the 80s was a big period that was big in nostalgia. Back to the Future. But uh, when did uh, When did Keith Moon die? 78 or 70 i think 78 or 79 okay this that is early that's crazy yeah huh he didn't make it into the 80s yeah uh but um i did uh, this song was written by pete townsend so i was like oh that's probably why like <laughs> not that roger daltrey isn't great in his own right but it's pete townsend's the the the, the songwriter behind the who what did yeah right what 
did he write who songs is there like a famous roger daltrey how as far as i know i think i'm not a big who who head a hooter <laughs> the who's down in whoville they say uh all right after the fire it's kind of like kind of like a. It, it's a really i think it's a really pretty cool song it's kind of like the middle-aged update on bob o'reilly talking about oh interesting it's a slow in, uh, intro. Oh, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> After the fire, the fire still it's funny. I was uh, I was talking with one of my coworkers the other day about because um, she saw uh, uh, Robert Plant in concert. Yeah. And she says it's one of like the top three concerts she's ever seen in her life. Like yeah. it was really good. And then we kind of got into this discussion about uh, attractiveness in rock stars. And I think, you know, the time of Led Zeppelin and The Who, it was like a time of like, you know, you didn't have to necessarily be a pretty boy to be on stage. No. But the one that popped into my head, I was like, you know, Roger Daltrey was like a, he was an interesting looking dude, but also like a good looking dude with the big hair coming back and all that kind of stuff. He's got a very aggressive voice, which I like. Still sounding great at this point. Yeah. Oh, listen. Yeah. Is that a real drum kit? I can't tell. I think it is. Sounds like a real drum. I also, this song is uh, great because I believe it's probably one of the only songs that uh, shouts out Dom DeLuise. <laughs> Yeah. I like this. It's good. It's good. It's probably better than I like it more than any post Keith Moon Who song besides maybe Eminence Run. Mm. It's just good. It's just really does capture like the Who feel, but it also kind of updates it to 1985. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't also. I mean, it's kind of weird how timeless that song does sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right, number three. Number three. Oh, these. Speaking of Who. The Hooters, <laughs> Philadelphia, the pride of Philadelphia, the Hooters, with their biggest hit, and we danced. The Hooters, uh, famously, maybe fa- famously uh, in some circles, they opened up Live Aid. They were the first, they opened up Live Aid in uh, Philadelphia, because they were a big local band in Philadelphia, so Bill Graham, the legendary concert promoter, put them on first at Live Aid, and mm. that kind of exposed them to the world and uh wasn't there also a thing about uh they opened up for U2 before U2 was big yeah and whoop the laundry machine's finally done famously uh they had to use the Hooters guitars because their guitars were like lost stolen or something yeah Yeah. Bono's notebook got stolen on his first they got like burglarized on their first or first tour man those guys don't have good luck and uh, uh yeah. wasn't also one of their records lost in a fire. <laughs> Didn't they record October once and it got lost and they had to re-record <laughs> it? Like it like burned the studio burned down with I all the master tapes. I don't remember that. I know that Bono had all the lyrics that he had for uh October, like written in a notebook that got stolen too. So, oh my so God. like he had to rewrite all the song lyrics, which is why the lyrics in October are kind of scattershot. Huh. All right. Uh and we danced. And we Hooters. danced. This is their biggest hit. Um 
they were the backing band for Cindy Lauper too. That's where they kind of got their start. They uh, one of the guys, the singer of the Hooters, co-wrote "Time After Time." Damn, sang, he was the male backing vocalist on the chorus. But this is I. This is a song I have an unabashed love for. This is like a, one of the ultimate '80s bops to me. I also have to say that that intro is exceedingly modern. Yeah. Oh yeah, the melodica. They're one of the only like, but I like think one of the only uses of a melodica that I, I think in popular music. She was a But a great story about Hooters opening up Live Aid. The organizer of Live Aid, Bob Geldof, was, uh, he was in the London portion of the concert, but he was like, who the fuck are the Hooters? Like, why are they opening up the concert? Like, this is like, I don't like, why the fuck are the Hooters? But Bill Graham, like, kind of strong-armed Bob Geldof. Like, no, these guys are, like, a super great live band. They're huge in Philadelphia, um, where the concert was. And uh, we're we're keeping the Hooters on the bill, so the Hooters got to play first at Live Aid. That's great. And so this is three months after Live Aid, so they've been exposed to the world, and it became their kind of biggest hit. But anyways, like, the Hooters are still big in Germany. <laughs> They're big in Philadelphia and Germany. Uh, of course, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah. So I guess it translated over to Germany, but Bob Geldof was uh, doing a tour like 10 years ago, and he shows up to the arena, and it was like... You're opening up for the Hooters tonight, Bob. <laughs> and he was like, God damn it. I'll never escape them. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, uh, top five so far, a little rootsy. Yeah. Which is interesting for 85. Yeah, because we're in the midst of the 80s, like yeah. synthetic. Well, and I guess Reagan, sort of Americana. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's yeah. interesting how rootsy it is, you know, considering there's also like, you know, you think of the 80s as like synthy, yeah. glam rocky, over, you know, uh, excess. Uh, not necessarily the band yeah. excess, uh, but, you no. know. But uh, the Hooters, they got they got the melodica, they got a mandolin <laughs> in the intro. Yeah. The man- it, it starts on the mandolin and the melodica, which is very like both uh, a throwback and ahead of its time. <laughs> you weren't using those instruments and songs in 1985. Yeah, uh, uh, this is Spinal Tap uh, had yet to c- have the uh, mandolin playing on Stonehenge. No. <laughs> when was that supposed to take place? Was that in the Well, 80s? that was actually 84. Spinal Tap was 84. When the movie actually came out? Yeah. No shit. Yeah, so that was actually before this. But Damn. They made the... the it was ironic. Made the mandolin cool for about four seconds, and then... <laughs> It wasn't cool again until the late 2000s. Perfect. And then Mumford and Sons. Yep. There's it's done again. I like how freaked out the cat was. Uh, so that we're closing in now. On the top two. Yeah, number two. Now, this is a song that is of the 80s. And yeah. you know what? Want to know how 80s it is? It is off the soundtrack for Miami Vice. <laughs> it was specifically written for an episode of Miami Vice. Actually, two of the top five songs were featured on Miami Vice. Roger Daltrey's After the Fire was also on an episode of ah, Miami Vice. Makes sense. Um, but this song was specifically written for Miami Vice. And after the Miami Vice theme song in Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight, I think it's the song that's most associated. There were a lot of songs associated with Miami Vice. Mm. But uh, it's Glenn Fry from the Eagles. <laughs> or Eagles. Sure. I'm not going to... I know the band's name is Eagles, but I have a hard time not referring. I think everybody calls them the Eagles. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going to see Eagles tonight. Yeah, nobody would ever. Nobody say would that. ever. The say Eagles. That. Uh, Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry with "You Belong to the City." Oh my 
God, yes. This is a classic. Yeah. Again, this is like 1985. Yeah. Oh, my God. What, like this in like Baker Street for like saxophone? (laughs) And just a certain sound to the like these like 1985 type songs, it just kind of reminds me of like reading uh, magazines at a dentist's office. Yeah. Like I was playing in the background. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. There's just like a smooth thing. Yeah. Like the smoothness of the 70s yeah. got like transmuted into, you know, whatever was happening in the 80s, but like it still kept going for some odd reason. A lot of long intros on the count. Yeah, yeah. What's this one? Uh, also, uh, this song is almost six minutes, if not six yeah. minutes. Also, I never noticed how much uh, Glenn Fry looks like Huey Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Glenn Fry also seems like kind of sounds kind of like a little bit tentative with the 80s sound. Like, whereas Don Henley kind of dove into it with his solo material, Glenn Fry is just like, all right, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And both of them were just trying to beat up Don Felder the whole yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very, it kind of says a lot about his personality that Glenn Fry was able to uh, name his first solo album No Fun Allowed, and people mostly thought it was unironic. <laughs> is, is it Glenn Fry who uh, on stage like looked at Don Felder and was like, after this song is over, I'm going to murder you? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, how did any of these guys survive? Well, Glenn Frey didn't survive. Well, true. <laughs> true. I mean, he made it. He made it a long time. But, I mean, yeah. It's a great song. I think it's another great song. It's a good one. So, like, it's, a, it's like songs that on the first, like, they don't jump out at you, but it's like kind of like. Yeah. It's interesting to have, like, the middle of the 80s, 85, the center, and, like, you know, a lot of these songs are, you know, have staying power. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, well, do we, are we going to get into it? We're going to get into it. We're going to Number one? Chop it up and tear it open. Number one, uh, the worst song of all time, according to a 2006 or 2000-something poll by Blender Magazine. Now defunct, so this <laughs> band got the last laugh. Starships, We Built This City on Rock and Roll. What? Came in at number one on, oh the, on the rock charts. And a few weeks later, it got to number one on the pop charts, on the, the top 100. Did it really? Yep, it made it all the way. Uh, and I, it was funny because uh, it was Glenn Fry's, it was ahead of Glenn Fry's You Belong to the City on the t- pop charts, too. So Glenn Two Fry cities? Got, yeah, Two city songs. Glenn Fry got beat by this song, the worst song of all time, twice. <laughs> Pop and rock charts. I mean, this is a classic right yeah. here. Uh, this is also on the uh, Rock of Ages soundtrack. Yeah. Just to keep that going. How is this the worst song? I don't know. Just these snarky. Maybe the repetitiveness. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about We Built the City is like. Uh, I don't know if you can look at the look up the songwriting credits, but it's like Bernie Toppin, Albert Hammond uh, Sr., the father of Albert Hammond Jr. of the Strokes, 
Okay. Um, I feel like there's at least, there's like five or six people writing the song. Like acclaimed songwriters, and this is what they come up with. <laughs> and uh, you got an iconic, uh, well, Starship's like a, it's a modified version of an iconic 60s rock group. Right. But I think the thing that people, that stands out so much about We Built the City on Rock and Roll is it's a song like that's, in essence, it's about corporate it's like railing against corporate rock and roll but it's the most corporate rock and roll song sounding and it's not done with any sense of irony absolutely it's like a very unironic but very corporate rock song that's against corporate rock mm. so it's just kind of a, like just the whole it's, it's a big head scratcher it I, is but i think I think if you take it from a standpoint of pure joy, though. Yeah, it just makes me happy. Yeah. I remember it was on some, like, jock jam CD that my elementary school gym teacher would play, and we'd, like, run... Shit, it was in that terrible... I I say terrible. There's no such thing. The worst Muppet movie is better than most most movies, uh, but it's in that shitty Muppet movie from uh, early 2000s with Jason Segel. Jason Segel, yeah. Yeah, and and, you know, I just see Muppets in my head going like... And it's like, it's like a yeah. very Muppet sounding chorus. Yeah, it's great. And they would uh, um, just get <laughs> Grace Slick just sounding <laughs> just sounding very like counting in her head about how many how much uh, how many cars the song will buy. Yeah. I like a lot of the synth song sounds in it. In general, yeah. I mean, like, I get it. But, like, in the same way, like, uh, what I, I just heard something the other day where it was talking about... Um, Your cat doesn't like we built the city. No, definitely not. Uh, also, uh, one of my cat, the bigger of my two cats, uh, hates the Pocahontas soundtrack. <laughs> I don't know what happens... But anytime Pocahontas comes on, he just starts meowing. He's just frequently blasting Pocahontas. <laughs> I'm going to say it happens probably more than your average household. Uh, <laughs> but uh, somebody was talking about, despite parents uh, being sick of the saccharine nature of Barney, Barney was one of the top selling toys yeah. of whatever year, 1993. 93, 90, yeah, 92. Some shit like that. And... Uh, it, we built this city suffers from being overly saccharine and you know sweet sounding yeah. as a song, but like it's still it's got a great hook. God knows they pounded into your head enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's got that fun. Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, syncopation. Yeah. Why that took me so long. We're like, you know, it jumps at you. It's fun. It's got one of those breakdowns where the radio station can customize it. Yep. Like back in the day, like they would insert the radio station name. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think as far as that era of like uh, arena rock is concerned, I'd put it up there with Boston to, yeah. just to be like, you know, it's a fun song. Yeah. If you get put it, it on. Yeah. You put it on a, at, on a sport at a baseball game or something. People yeah. And people are dancing in the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. 
do that and more than a feeling and you've got yourself a great halftime you know like <laughs> you've got a great in between innings everybody's yeah. pumped up now pitchers coming out nobody's pissed off yeah <laughs> Uh, all right. I didn't see it going that way with the worst song, but that's no, great. that's 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 I yeah. I would say I don't think that's anywhere near the worst song. No, there are tons more that I could think of. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I but I get why they would say that, especially in the age of ironic journalism. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna the look AV up, Club. Let me try and pull up the Blender worst song list real quick, so I can see if. I agree with the other ones. Yeah, or, or see how many of them fall into yeah, that like, category. Of like, like, we're too hip to like this shit. Like, I get it, dudes. And they're all dudes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but you know how like that happens with like AV Club and stuff. You know, you 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 get that sense of like it's unsafe to like things that are too safe. Yeah. Which like fine, I get it. It's 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 a vulnerable thing to like something that's so sincere, right? Uh, but yeah, I get it. Okay, the fifty worst songs ever. So it was uh, f- from two thousand four. Um, let me see how many. Oh, it's a Spotify playlist too. Maybe we should do an episode on this. Ooh, I'm fine with that. Yeah, but uh, uh, tease a couple of them. I'll tease a couple of them. Yeah, we already revealed number one, so we'll <laughs> we won't do it for a couple years. <laughs> Once uh, it's gone yeah. from your memories. Yeah. Besides that, um, uh, another one on there was uh, Billy Ray Cyrus' "Achy Breaky Heart." Oh my God! One of the greatest Oscar, not Oscar. Uh, Grammy uh, speeches of all time. I would like to be buried upside down. No, that's... That was, he said that somewhere. He said that one somewhere, but it, it was after Travis Tritt had said something about achy, breaky heart. And so he goes to accept the Grammy for it, and he just says, he says, uh, he says, you know, thank you to the fans, and, you know, without you, this wouldn't be possible, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Motley Crue is behind him just dying laughing. Uh, and he says... To all those who who said that achy breaky heart was never gonna get anywhere, he then smacks the podium with all of his might and screams at the top of his lungs, "Here's a quarter. Go tell someone who cares." <laughs> I like so I'm looking at this blender list and I like probably about two thirds of the songs on the list. <laughs> Just okay, so per, achy breaky. I mean, achy break. I can understand why people don't like achy breaky heart, but I think yeah. it's, it's it's sort of like the '90s version of "We Built This City," where it's like you can, you know. Yeah, I would say that it's even more watered down than "We Built This City," yeah. but sure, sure. God, um, I remember dancing to it at a ton of middle school dances. Did you know the line dance? I did at the time for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was video of that. Our producer Rick will upload video of Nick Rhodes yeah, line right. dancing to "Achy Breaky Heart." Uh, number three on the list was Wang Chung's "Everybody Have Fun Tonight." Oh yeah, which is another like fun, it's like a fun, like sincerely fun, goofy eighty song. Yeah, but in the age of ironic. Uh... Yeah, d- uh, nobody's about to yeah. uh, uh, give it its due. Limp Bizkit's "Rollin'" parentheses air raid vehicle. That on one I agree with. Yeah, I can. <laughs> uh... Now I know y'all be loving this shit right here. <laughs> And you're gonna get upset by this one. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna give you a, a trigger warning. So okay. You're gonna get really upset. Huey Lewis in the news. Heart of rock and roll. What? <laughs> Look. Do they name a bunch of cities? Yes. 
But come on. Oh, come on, Hugh Lou. King of Dad Rock. Uh, oh, Broken Wings was on here too. What? Yep. Mm. Uh, Portacy it... of the Red, White, and Blue. The Doors, The End. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that upset a lot of boomers. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's some that I, I mean, Europe's the final countdown. Oof. I don't know how that makes the list. I feel like that's not even. It's not saccharine enough to be saccharine, but it's also not like, I don't know, it's of its time. I mean, Loverboy has to be on that list now, right? If Europe's making it on the list, Loverboy has to be on that list. Somewhere. uh, Simon Garfunkel's The Sound of Silence is on there. They were were trying to troll baby boomers. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's no way that that song is considered bad. The Beatles' Obla Di Obla Da, that's another one that pisses off. I mean, that's like one of the lesser Beatles songs, but it's nowhere near like the worst song of all time. Yeah, I get it. Uh, it just dawned on me that... Oh, oh, oh. here's another one. Here, sit, okay. strap yourself in. You're going to get upset. <laughs> Phil Collins, Sue Studio. What? No. That is a great song. I will die defending that song. <laughs> just say the word, so good that is a great song yeah uh nothing but fun and joy and uh don johnson's heartbeat is on there too okay that i can get behind that song is we terrible. gotta do this list there's some great super uh 2000 <laughs> songs oh uh i love it rick astley you're never never gonna give you up how is that bad i don't know i mean fine it's not my like... heart will go on by celine dion oh that's weird weird to put on that list yeah but it was just so i guess so it's still like burned like overplayed they yeah the re- semi-recent memories of it being such a part of everywhere Be- that was the titanic song yeah right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well absolutely. you know the thing is most of those artists if they're still alive they're still touring and blender magazine is dead so yeah right congratulations who's got the last laugh now yeah rotten hell blender magazine if you could go see a don johnson tour for free right now would you absolutely i would go see that concert (laughs) i would probably pay like up to 25 bucks does he bring barbara streisand out and they do that duet that they did because uh they did a duet i think on her album memory uh super good it's great (laughs) it's great (laughs) <laughs> a lot of Barbra Streisand fans right now being like, what? Uh, I like Hello, Dolly. Um, all right. Well, that brings us to your top five, which oh, you've shit, already I said. I forgot. I, uh, yeah, top five. Uh, Do you want to order them? I am going to order them. Okay. Uh, I put Glenn Fry's You Belong to the City, number five. Okay. Uh, I put John Mellencamp's Lonely Old Night at number four. I'm fine with that. I put the Roger Daltrey song, number three. Ooh, yeah. That was good. And then Starships, we built this city on rock and roll at number two. Okay. I put the Hooters and we danced. Just like the ultimate 80s bop to me. I just. All right. I get it. Yeah. I like that. I like that list. Uh, I like Lonely Old Night made it in there. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting because Built This City is definitely in my top five as well for this list. Yeah. But not number one. No, I wouldn't put it as number one, but it's, yeah. it would definitely be top five. Just. It gets it gets it gets in your head. God, that has to be in the next season of uh, Stranger Things, right? That song has to be everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Well, of course, let's uh, let's tease. So next week, next week we're going uh, we're going back to the nineties, jumping forward to okay. the end of the nineties, 
July 17th, 1999. It's the Whoa. week before Woodstock 99. Great. Which we recently celebrated the 20th anniversary for. We'll see uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers are in there. Uh, At that point, Blood Sex or had uh, Aeroplane come out? No, Californication. Californication? We're even that late. We're that late. Great. I love that uh, album. You hear the beginning of the new metal and like the butt rock era. Marvelous. See a few surprises. There's going to be at least one person in the top, uh, top, 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 near the top of the chart that is a band that you would associate with a, a different time in music. Hmm. All right. Well, and I mean, at this point, like, for myself at least, like I'm listening to music on the radio by right. this point. At this I'm point, I have of... conscious, yeah, memories of yeah. The I... next, so the next two episodes will be fun, is because I actually can kind of. The next two episodes are. I was there based. for it, right? So, yeah, yeah we're going to do July seventeenth, nineteen ninety nine. I'll tease it a little more. We're going to do after that. We're going to do uh, October twenty second, nineteen ninety four. Ah, we'll do three in advance. We're going to go into the 2000s in three weeks for the first time. We're going to do October 30th, 2004, the f- week the R- Red Sox won the World Series for the first time in 86 years. We're going to see what's was on the top of the alternative charts. So th- we're going to, that episode in three weeks for the first time, we're going to do 2000s and we're going to do alternative instead of mainstream rock. Mm. So that you got a lot, uh, a lot to look forward to and less rock, more talk coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, Connor McGrath signing off. Connor McGrath signing off. Thanks to everybody on the Nick Robes podcast app uh, network, and uh, thanks to our sponsors, Squarespace and Blue Chew. It'll get your dick super hot. <laughs> Good night. Mm-hmm.